0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Green Room, where we speak to entrepreneurs and thought leaders in fintech across ASEAN. I'm your host, Amrita Veer. We are sponsored by the ASEAN Financial Innovation Network, or AFIN, Oxygen by Apex, and Open Banking Fintech Broncos. In this episode, I speak with Ananya Sinha, the founder of Brown Baddies, an NFT project focused on elevating South Asian women. Ananya was born in New Zealand, grew up in Australia and is now telling the stories of South Asian women all over the world via NFTs. Ananya is relatively new to Web3, but has been an entrepreneur since her uni days at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. Ananya spent her pandemic years working as a consultant at publicist Sapien, and in March, she turned investor with Artesian. Brown Baddies has been Ananya's side hustle NFT project since the beginning of 2022. I actually found out about them through an Instagram post. And as a South Asian woman, I was thrilled to finally see an NFT project that I could relate to. I couldn't help but reach out to Ananya to have her on the Green Room podcast. Brown Baddies isn't just minting NFTs. Proceeds are going to important initiatives like supporting NGOs working to combat gender-based violence in South Asia and creating a global directory of South Asian women-owned businesses. You can learn more about them by visiting brownbaddies.xyz and following Brown Baddies NFT on Twitter. And now, a word from our sponsors.
1: Hello everyone, my name is Manish Devan. I am the Managing Director for AFIN, which is ASEAN Financial Innovation Network. We run the very popular APEXplatform.com, which is a collaboration platform to help financial institutions work together with a very vibrant ecosystem of fintechs from across the world. We now operate what we call as Oxygen by Apex which is essentially a knowledge sharing platform and we are very happy to collaborate with the Green Room. It's a great combination of what we do as a platform service provider and what the Green Room brings to you as a, a knowledge sharing base. You can find out more about Apex on apixplatform.com And you can find out more about Oxygen by logging into apexoxygen.com, where you'll find a lot of great panels, keynotes, uh, masterclasses that we do from time to time. And uh, look forward to seeing you there.
0: Ananya, thank you so much for joining us on The Green Room today. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I hope you have too.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so
0: excited to be here. Yeah, this is going to be fun. So Ananya, let's first talk a little bit about your background. Uh, You know, you're relatively new to the Web3 space. This is your first endeavor in NFTs. Um, But you seem to have an extremely entrepreneurial mindset. Can you tell us a little bit about where that comes from? Yeah, I think I've always
2: been really interested in solving really difficult problems. I also love doing multiple things at the same time. Like, I think I've always had some sort of side project going on throughout uni, even, even probably prior to that. My dad is actually, he's a professor in innovation and entrepreneurship. So that probably helped and figured out how I got into just solving different types of problems. I just got that information from there. And yeah, I sort of discovered startups when I was in my last year of university. And that was through a university accelerator program. And prior to that, I just thought I'd go down the corporate route. My goal was probably to work at a big four. And I think that just completely flipped around. Five, six years ago now. And I sort of just started learning about, like, you know, I guess really obvious startups like Canva. But to me, back then, they were really new. And I just sort of went further down the rabbit hole. And that's sort of my background in entrepreneurship. I actually did a degree in commerce and marketing. And I also did history on the side. But I think that really didn't have anything to do with my interest in business. It was actually just building something. So, In university, I tried to build a sustainable tech startup. And that was, again, actually inspired sort of by my background, my cultural heritage as well. So I tried to essentially create a really simple platform for Australians to transport their phones or used phones to India, where they were valued a lot more. And we didn't ever end up launching properly or making any money. But that was where I I learned how to actually build a business and fail at building a business too, which was really important experience for me. So that's a, a little bit about my background and, and where I got
0: into entrepreneurship. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. Nanya. And I think your dad being a professor of uh, of innovation and entrepreneurship is super impactful as well. I think we all take after our dads in some ways. So it's yeah. good that you have that inspiration. Sure. Right? So, you know, you talked a little bit about going down the entrepreneurship route, you know, in your last year of school. But then it sounds like you decided to go this, you know, a little more of a corporate route when you graduated. You went to Sapient. Tell us about that and then why you decided to shift from there to, to now VC.
2: Yeah, no, it's, a, it's actually a really good question. So I think like I graduated five years ago now, four and a half years ago. And when I graduated, I didn't feel like going into a startup was something that I could justify, I guess. I like the salaries were way too low. Like I always knew it was something that I was interested in, but I couldn't justify it against something that I guess considered just. Great or a goal of many people, which which is consulting, and I think that was really hard for me to to weigh that up and and choose startups. But I think the other thing was I'd always had the dream to be a founder, so I'd never really considered working in a startup as an employee. And so I, I went into consulting, and I think it gave me that really good general knowledge for sure. But I started getting the itch right after COVID to join like the tech world again which is why I decided to apply for VC, which is, again, something I never really thought that I'd be doing. I I don't have a finance background at all, but it was just really interesting to see how all my different experiences helped me jump
0: into VC. Got it. Got it. That's amazing. And I think your role uh, at Artesian, remind me again, is it focused on women or diversity and inclusion? And has that shaped your view, certainly of the NFT landscape, but I guess of tech more broadly?
2: Yeah, so it's actually a really exciting role. So I'm taking care of our new, what we call, it's called the Female Leaders Fund. And so we've, we're raising a $100 million fund and we're only investing in women-led startups and it's a global mandate, but we're focusing on Asia Pacific. And it's it's really interesting because we're not just looking at women-led startups, we look at, you know, does the, the women in the startup actually have equal equity compared to the other co-founders? We're looking at the board level, the exec level, and also if they have um, transparent gender policies. So it's not just, you know, I have, a, I have a woman here for branding, which sometimes does happen. And we've had a lot of startups come to us that so we've had to turn away because they actually don't have like an equal stake, which is quite interesting and something that I'd never really seen before as well. And it's definitely, I think I am still very new to the role, but I meet like five, six startups a day. And pretty much 90% of them who have women founders, they're absolutely shocked to see two um female investors on the other side of the table. Like it's like probably the first comment that all of them say to us. And I think you kind of know it's a problem. Like you see the stats. I think it's like, what is it, 2% of women get VC funding, but I think women of color, like it's it's not even reported what that stat is. But I think reading the start in an article, and then actually hearing it and hearing about those experiences are are very different. And you kind of feel like, okay, I'm making a small step in changing this, but there's just so much more to do and and to go as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's those stats are really salient. Yeah, two percent of VC funding goes to women, and yeah, as you said, some of the other stats aren't even reported because they're so abysmal. <laughs> so. That's a, that's great work, and I know that you're doing in your professional life, in your day job, but how? tell us now a little bit about Brown Baddies. How does this, I guess, your work at Sapient, as well as now your work at Artesian, and your art entrepreneurial background, you've now started Brown Baddies, which has a very clear focus on supporting uh, South Asian women who are you know underrepresented in, in many different areas. Yeah. Tell me about that.
2: Yeah, so maybe I'll talk a little bit about how I got into Web3. Mm-hmm. So I, my partner is a proper crypto gem, as they say. So he's been in the crypto world for a very, very long time. And he'd been trying to get me into it for more than a year or two, I think. But very honestly, I didn't care for Web3, didn't think that it related to me at all. I didn't personally find it very interesting or just useful in my daily life at all. And I think in December, I discovered World of Women, the NFT collection, which for anyone who doesn't know, there are a blue chip NFT collection now and they represent women profile pictures and it's like a 10,000 piece collection that is very, very popular and getting a lot of traction at the moment. But even though I discovered it back in December and major regrets for not investing then because I think it was a couple of hundred dollars and I don't even know what it is now, but probably like 100x of that. But I still didn't feel like those profile pictures really represented me. So I'd been seeing a lot of people change their profile pictures into their NFTs. But most people do try and choose ones that kind of represent them in in some way or another. And I'm a South Asian woman, brown skin, black hair. Something that I identify with quite strongly is, is my culture as well. Even though I've been born and brought up in New Zealand, my Indian heritage has been really strong throughout my childhood. And I just, honestly, it started by wanting something that just looked like me. I discovered after World of Women, a project called Eight Asian, and it's by a girl called Nicole. And she is an Asian woman. And it was the first time that I'd seen cultural representation in Web3. And they depict Southeast Asian women in their profile pictures. But Again, even though I thought it was absolutely amazing, and probably that's what triggered me to create something myself, I still didn't see that representation that related to me specifically, which is why I, I went down the route of creating it myself. And that's how I started Brown Baddies. yeah,
0: and that's super inspiring. And I have to ask, you know you it sounds like it's really important for you and for a lot of women out there to actually anchor on a certain piece of your identity, right? Like you could have focused on being, you know, a woman in VC. You could have focused on being an Australian woman. You could have focused on being, you know, an Indian Australian uh, or South Asian Australian person, but, you know, and everyone has like so many different ways that they identify. We're all multifaceted human beings. Why for you then was like the South Asian women part of your identity. So important, so important enough for you to like start an NFT project on it.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting you say that because yes, it's 100% is representing South Asian women, but it also represents me as a South Asian woman who's born in New Zealand and lives in Sydney. So if you look at some of the pictures I have, they actually have like the Sydney Harbour Bridge as the background or New Zealand as the background. I have global ones. I have people who look different. and um, I think it's for me, first of all, even though I've been born and brought up in the Western world. It's just been such a big influence on me, just my background or where my parents came from, like they're immigrants, so I'm a fashion and that journey for me was definitely a struggle. So you know I grew up in a in a school in New Zealand where there were probably like a couple of people of color, like one other Indian person and I really disassociated myself from my Indian heritage and it took me a very long time to I guess even appreciate it and that was That sort of started when I moved to Australia, probably because it was a little bit more multicultural. I met more people like me and I didn't know the word for it then, but basically I just, you know, I I saw a little bit more representation of others like me and it helped me accept and appreciate my differences and like my background and where my parents came from and my food. And, you know, like it took me embarrassingly a really, really long time to even take South Asian food to lunch because I just was so embarrassed of it and it's interesting because you feel like you're the only person who goes through experiences like that when you talk to other people who like, are first-gen immigrants or even like others and they go through the same thing. And I think that was what I'm trying to showcase in brown baddies is not just South Asian women, but the, the nuances between them. So you know, my experience as someone who's grown up in the Western world as a South Asian woman is probably very different to someone who's grown up um, in India, for example, or somewhere else. And I can't, you know, I can only ever speak to my own experience and my art is definitely very personal, but I'm trying my best to showcase those differences
0: as well as I can. Yeah. And I feel like listening to you, I'm I'm nodding along for audience that can't see me because everything Ananya said, it's it's like I grew up on the other side of the world as a a South Asian, Indian American, uh, growing up in Texas. And it's so funny because it's like I could have said exactly what you said. It was so similar to my own experience on the other side of the world uh, as part of like the South Asian diaspora. And so what's so, what I find so fascinating and it's like, you've created an NFT project to represent you, but in doing so, you've given voice and representation to so many other people who also grew up thinking, Oh, I'm the only one who looks like me. I have to, you know, have, I feel a certain way, potentially, you know, have some self doubts about your own culture that you grew up with. And then suddenly, you know, uh, as you, as you, get older and, and see more of the world and see more representation in various contexts, you become more comfortable that it's uh, really amazing. In it that that, uh, you know, your story is representative of so many people's stories and that you're trying to capture so many different aspects of, you know, what is it to be a South Asian woman wherever you are in the world. So thank you for sharing that. I personally really appreciate it. Oh, no, no,
2: no worries at all. And it's really interesting that you say that you resonated with too, because you're right. I hundred percent created this for myself. But in doing so, I think it's been really humbling and amazing seeing the people who've reached out to me because they all relate so much to to what I have created or what I talk about or my story that they they just feel like, you know, brown baddies is is them and a hundred percent is. And is, is crazy about it. Like I've talked to South Asian women in Canada who've grown up with the same experience. I've talked to people who aren't even South Asian, but they're just people of color or underrepresented who have the same experience as well. Like I, I think like every second or third person I talk to who is a person of color have has said something like to me, oh, I, I really wish that, you know, when I was younger that I grew up blonde or that I had fairer skin or, or, or whatever it is. And then you slowly go through that, I guess, journey of tr- transition of change and understanding that, no, like this is, I have such a beautiful culture, and my differences make me so special. And I have so much to actually give back to the world because I have this different experience in life. But it just take, it took. I mean, it took personally. It took me a long time to get there. And I think with Brown Baddies, it sounds funny, but they literally were inspired by things like Total Drama Island or Impossible or Bratz. But you never really saw any South Asian representation there, and so. I truly think, like, I truly do believe that Web3 has the power to make the world a bit more equitable or, no, not a bit more, like it can make the world more equitable, but we're not there yet. And if you don't have underrepresented people in the decision, like making seats or driving it or creating something as simple as a collection that showcases different skin colours and cultures, we're just going to have a repeat of what what's happened in, in Web2. And that's why it's so important for me to not just showcase South Asian women, but also just making sure that those voices are elevated. And
0: I think that I'm helping do that in in my own way. And that's that's beautiful and a, an incredible motivation for starting something in the Web3 space. I want to spend more time talking a little bit about that kind of the Web3 environment and how NFTs uh, can actually lead to more equity and inclusion. But first, I think we got to spend some time actually talking about brown baddies. Yes. So you know, you talked a lot about the inspiration for starting Brown Baddies, which is which is amazing. But I have to ask you, like, very tactically, as someone also very uh, relatively new to Web three uh, yes. ecosystem, what was your process for actually like learning about the space, actually creating the art, and and building that community?
2: Yeah. So I actually started. I started from the art and creating a collection. So I. I've always loved drawing digital art. I, I love creating, but creating a generative collection is not just drawing freehand, which I didn't realize. So I actually thought that people were drawing 10,000 apes or whatever it is. And it might be to seem obvious to people now, but it didn't click to me that you, people were actually using code to generate those things. And I actually started learning about how to create a collection through YouTube. And that was actually one of the best resources for me to learn. And for anyone who isn't aware of how how a generative collection works, what happens is you have a base. And in Brown Baddie's case, the base is the body of a baddie or a girl or a woman. And I basically create different traits that get laid on top. So it's kind of like if you've used Photoshop before, you have different layers. So like I have different skin tones, I have different hair, jewellery, makeup, like lip colours, that sort of thing. And you have to make sure that all of those layers actually work with each other. And it sounds simple, I guess, when you say it like that. I don't know if you ever played Stardall back in the day, but you kind of like swap all the different outfits or clothes and that's kind of what it is or what you have to create when you're creating that collection. But probably took me a lot longer than I thought because you have to really consider all the other aspects that you can't actually see when you're creating those things. Like for example, for us, I had to stop drawing necklaces because they'd cover like a collar of a shirt or something like that and it would completely glitch and look really strange. And it definitely a really long process. And we've just about finished the art now. But you have to constantly keep iterating and testing. So that's where I I first started was. Just figuring out how the art would work. And I mean, I have a bit of experience in, I guess, working in startups or being a founder. And so I pretty much thought quite tactically about okay, who is my target customer? And for us, it was a crypto curious woman or who identified as South Asian or was an ally and was interested in crypto, but didn't really know where to go or hadn't found anything that properly resonated with them. And it was really important for, I think, me as a creator to target people who were already, I guess, on that edge of wanting to learn because it's really, really hard to convince people of the legitimacy of Web3. So it was kind of like, okay, Roundback is a space where you can find like PFPs or characters that represent you And we'll help you on your journey of what you already want to do. So that was how we narrowed down the market. And I think that was really important to do in the beginning because if you go too broad, you won't really relate to anyone. And I'm just a personal believer in starting small and you make sure that that community is really engaged and resonates with you and then going out bigger, which so far has, has worked for us. And it's also a lot easier to manage because if you don't curate that community in the beginning when you go broader it's just going to fall apart and so that's how we thought about creating the collection in the very beginning and I think all the ideas for the trades or what sort of utility we wanted or how we'd offer everything to the community came later I think first came the actual art and representation and then we started thinking about the benefits of what being part of the community or how we could actually give back
0: on it yeah that community aspect is super important So before we get into the community, because that is a super important part of any NFT project, a little bit like, you know, how you think of these uh, of the brown baddies, like obviously it's generative art and I've seen, but I've seen, you know, all sorts of inspiration, you know, following your Twitter and Instagram and and, I mean, your discord group, like I've seen all sorts of inspirations, it seems like for different um, NFT pieces. So you know, everyone from Bollywood, actresses to superheroes to women in business. Who <laughs> decide who to spotlight? And, you know, how does the community get involved in, you know, in thinking through like new iterations of, of the NFT pieces?
2: Yeah. So initially, like I said, it started with what I wanted to see. So it was characters or like, I absolutely love South Asian fashion. So that's what I started with because I felt like clothes also showcased culture the most so I started off with South Asian fashion and outfits but then I sort of slowly went into I would absolutely love to see South Asian female superheroes so I ended up creating them as rare characters because I don't know I've never seen a brown spider-man or spider-woman um I should probably say and I wanted to you know let other South Asian women see that in my collection and put themselves in, in those shoes. Um, so in the beginning, it was what I wanted to see. And then as we slowly got that following or people who are really interested in my work or what I am building, I started getting a lot of input from other people because I literally draw in my iPad, in my room, in a vacuum. And, you know, I have biases myself. I um Art is a very personal thing. So I am 100% drawing things that I relate to. And I'm never going to be able to, you know, include every single person or everything in my artwork. But I can try my best to at least listen to the input of the people who truly believed in what I was creating. So, for example, we have um, a group of what we call the brown baddies, advisors, and they're daddy of them. And we meet probably every few weeks and we just have brainstorming sessions with them and they're all around the world. So it's really early morning for us because most of our target market audience are in the States. And we talk about, okay, like how do we reach more South Asian women? How do we make it more inclusive for allies? Because that is also something that is really important that we don't want to exclude people from investing in our collection or being part of this because without allies, you can't really uplift any underrepresented voice, for example something that came up that I found hard to actually, I guess, solve for was a lot of our community actually felt like like a core community felt that our characters weren't body positive. And it's definitely hard to, I guess, solve for that because you're creating a generative collection. And like I said, you have the same base for every single NFT. So we kind of had to go back to the drawing board and say, hey, this is something that people are asking for, how do we listen to them and actually show them that we want to create a more inclusive community and, you know, iterate with them and build with the community. And we ended up deciding to do a couple of rare characters who we're calling rare baddies and they're actually more valuable in our collection now. And so that was how we solved for that. But it took a little while because, you know, at first I was like, okay, should I create a different base? And then, that meant that I had to create all these different outfits and traits on top of that, which would have been a lot of extra work. So figuring out how to build with your community in a way that actually, you know, is sustainable is really important. And, you know, like it's really interesting because I've never, I'm not actually a very big social media person and never really done anything like this before. But I think as soon as you put yourself up as like a business or an NFT collection or whatever it is, you kind of open yourself up to that constructive criticism, and it was definitely something that I had to get used to and I'm still getting used to because people kind of forget that it's just me in the background reading your Instagram DMs. I'm not ever going to be able to make everyone happy, unfortunately. And you definitely have to, you know, you do your best in including everyone and you give them the space to be able to contribute. And I think for us it's having, like, very, like, I guess, obvious spaces on where they could do that. So we'll actually have a call out And okay, if you want to be an advisor and be part of these greatest storming sessions, you can opt in. And this is where you give us your feedback and we'll take it in and figure out how we best can actually action it if we can. So that was something. And those like advisors, they've sort of been almost, I guess, in a Web2 world, what you'd call like your super user or your super customer or super fan. And they kind of spread the word for you because they're like, hey, like this creator is listening to you. She's actually building things that we want. and I think that's where we got all of our support because we genuinely were trying our best to listen to people and giving like to giving them updates on you know maybe why I couldn't actually do things. and I think people just really appreciated that honesty and transparency too like once you show them that, hey like I'm a real human building this, I'm doing my best, I'm, I'm listening to you, I'm giving you the time, but I can't always promise everything because I'm just one person as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's super important. And, uh, that community aspect really strikes me as one of the most valuable things that people can get out of, you know, being part of this NFT project. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like how, you know, you've obviously got the advisor community, but for the broader brown baddies community, you know, on Instagram, Twitter, discord group, I guess maybe there's two questions here. One is, how do you reach your customers, right? You you said before that these are people who are maybe on the fence about getting into web three, they're a little tentative. So how do you reach those customers? And then once you do reach them, you know, how are you engaging them in a way that's like meaningful and making sure that you're getting the right feedback and that they're ultimately going to become your customers once the NFT is minted. You know, I've seen some fun events on your, on your Twitter, like chai and chill. Can you tell us a little about that? And like, you know, what's what's the objective of those kinds of events?
2: Yeah, I think maybe I should preface by saying we sort of have a two-pronged approach. So we definitely first targeted people in this space already. Uh, and that was probably because, you know, they would understand a little bit more about what we were building. So that was on platforms like Twitter and Discord. And honestly, I think <laughs> it was a lot of DMing I only had drawn like one or two pieces of my artwork before creating the Twitter itself. But in the beginning, it was more about making friends in the Web3 space and doing really non scalable things. So I was really lucky to join a Biwok creator group. So Black, Indigenous, Women of Color group on Twitter that had gotten created like a few days before I joined the space. And it was probably one of, you know, where I learned the most and like, because everyone was sort of on the same journey and that was where I started. Like I had like one or two pieces of work. I started sharing my idea, telling people, you know, would you be interested in this? Like, do you think others would, what were your experiences? And so in the beginning it was just connecting with people one-on-one and that was probably one of the best things I did because if you show people that, okay, like I'm actually here to help you as well, to give you feedback, like I'm here to support you. I guess it's just about making genuine connections. So that was where I first started. And I, I guess I was, I was looking for advice myself because I was so new to the space. That I didn't even really know where to start. So things like those YouTube videos that I mentioned, they were sent to me by other people. And I guess when you have that credibility or someone vouching for those sorts of resources, it really helps because there's a lot of noise in the space. And if you Google things more likely than not, you'll just find articles that are trying to advertise something rather than actually trying to help you. So it was really important for me to talk to the creators in the beginning. And they kind of just knew me as Ananya, who's new in the space and trying to learn. And then, you know, Ananya as the creator of Brown Baddies, who I already know. So I'm going to support her. So that was how I started. I think after that was really trying to showcase the vision before I had all of the artwork ready, or even if I had everything ready to post. So being really clear on what I was trying to do, I think was very, very important because I see a lot of collections or I see a lot of people trying to create things, but if you're not clear about what you're, what you stand for, no one really will be able to support you because you kind of like, you know, I think as soon as you think of brown bodies, you think oh, it's for South Asian women training representation in Web3. And that's kind of all you need to know and everything else is kind of additional or extra. So that was important for me to share that vision with people. And we iterated on our roadmap multiple times, but I think it's because our community knew that everything that I was doing was for that vision, that it was okay. So I started from basically a long-winded way of saying doing non-scalable things and making authentic connections. And I think... For us, it was actually word of mouth that really helped snowball our community. And that was approaching people who were already in the space. And then most collections don't really focus on Instagram or Facebook or, I guess, other Web2 platforms, which is something that, say, we're doing quite differently. It is really difficult as a creator to focus on Web2 platforms because, you know, they're a lot more likely to not be interested in what you're creating. But I think for me, I my target market was essentially me six months ago. And I knew that I didn't have a Twitter before January this year. I hadn't really used Discord or I just sort of knew it as a gaming platform and wasn't interested in it. And I still really struggle with the UX and most of the feedback I get is the same. So that's why I created the Instagram more just as an awareness tool in the beginning and i actually didn't know that you discovered us through instagram and it's quite interesting at how well it's been working like i'd say we don't even have a lot of followers but the people who want to find us definitely do or who are trying to learn about crypto they they do find us and so we have a mix of educational content but i also use it kind of as a portfolio of like the brown baddies work as well and i think that's really important because on twitter things get lost. There's a lot of threads, a lot of words, there's a lot of content. And I think having one place where you can see all of the artwork has been quite important and, and, and really great for us. And really interestingly, so I've actually do one-of-one commissions just before creating our generative collection and all of my commissions have actually come through Instagram, which is surprising given that Twitter and Discord are the main platforms for Web3. And 80% of them, it was their first NFT. So I've had to actually onboard them, help them create their MetaMask, help them with, you know, purchasing the NFT and transferring their ETH. And it's definitely not a scalable thing. And I'm trying to work through how to make those sorts of processes scalable, whether it's creating a bit more content or referring them to videos. But there are people on Web2 platforms that are trying to learn. And so I think that's what's really important is to try and go to your customer rather than trying to expect them to all come onto Twitter, it's kind of like you need, you need to teach them a little bit before you expect them to just jump like all in.
0: Um, I knew that's so smart that you're able to to meet meet people where they are uh, and then help yes, them yeah. uh, help them learn and then you know you become Brown Baddies becomes their first NFT project and how cool is that? Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you know I think something you said earlier which is around you know making those authentic connections it feels so much you know that the web3 space can be very cryptic you know no pun intended but people are behind you know these funny looking jpegs and you know everyone's got like a different name like it's really hard to know who's who and it strikes me that making those authentic connections in that kind of environment would be really hard and you know we've heard all of this drama around uh, what's doxing, which is basically revealing the identity of an NFT founder, an NFT project. And I have to wonder for a project like Brown Baddies, uh, do you think this is like necessary? Is it necessary to like reveal who you are to be able to get the right types of customers and people in your network to make the project successful? And maybe one question further is like, how does that relate to inclusion? and your ultimate goal of kind of elevating South Asian women?
2: Yeah, it's a a really interesting question because we didn't dox ourselves until we reached 1,000 followers, which is something that I probably wouldn't do again. I feel that doxing myself was really important for brown baddies. And I think that that's because of probably a couple of reasons. One, there are unfortunately a lot of rug pulls or scams in the space. And that is because, you know, people don't actually need to identify themselves, be, so they kind of they don't have anyone to explain themselves to. That's the first thing. I think there is a lot of hesitation with investing in a crypto project, especially now, because you hear about all those scams or that that is what gets published in the media. That is what you hear about. So that's probably the number one reason why doxing is so important. But the second reason is if you don't know who is creating this community that you're hoping people to invest in? Like, how can you expect them to actually, you know, pay pay money to you if they have no idea who you are, what you stand for, what your background is? And I think that was why doxing was so important to us because people could actually see that, hey, this is a real person that I can relate to. It's important to build trust, especially online. But I think in particular in Web3, it's even more so important because you don't really know who you're talking to all the time. Like you said, you know, they have funny looking JPEGs, but but I think at the end of the day, it's important to remember that those are still people. And I think undocced personas are still important too. Like people are, you know, judged on what they do and their actions rather than, you know, what they look like. But I, I do think it's really important to say that I hear a lot of, conversation saying that, oh, because you're undoxed it's more inclusive because you don't know what background someone is or something like that. But it's really important to sort of not get confused between erasing someone's identity and not actually revealing themselves. Because if I have to go into a space and hide who I am, then that's not really inclusion or diversity as well. So there's like a fine line between I guess, why you dox yourself and and or stay undoxed. Um, and that's definitely a, that's a personal preference. But I think I just wanted to flag that, in my opinion anyway, if someone is saying that, oh, I'm undoxed because it makes it more accessible, that's
0: not a good thing. And that doesn't
2: mean that the space you're in is actually equitable.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's a really interesting and important nuance. And then, yeah, I think the idea that undoxing, I kind of came into the question with, the idea that is un, undoxing should be necessary for all uh, NFT founders. But what you said is that is actually problematic. That if the only way that you can get support for your NFT project is to be undoxed, then there's a problem with the space. So and that's a really, a really good point. I want to zoom out a little bit and talk about Web3. But before I do that, I have to ask you a very critical question, which yes. is uh, how does Brown Baddies make money? And I, I guess <laughs> what are your objectives and what does success look like?
2: Yeah, yeah. I should probably talk a little bit about our utility and roadmap. I realise just completely skipped that as well. So almost half of Mint is actually going to a Biwok fund. And so what I mean by that is we're trying to purchase artworks or NFTs or um, buy other Biwok or non-binary creators. And that was something that I saw because I see a lot of one of one artists who aren't probably getting the recognition they need. Obviously, I myself um, relate and identify with being a, a biwalk person. And I think our whole vision has been uplifting people of color or women of color. And I, I felt like that was actually putting like, you know, money where my mouth is and wanting to showcase that, hey, this is actually something that I want to do for real. And so that's one part of what Brown Baddies is doing. We're also trying to create South Asian immersive experiences, educational courses, and we also want to purchase a spot in the metaverse to host those experiences as well. We have planned to make donations to charities that combat gender-based violence because that's something that's really important to me, but in South Asia in particular. And so I think I guess the the theme throughout all of our, our roadmap and the utility is that people need to resonate with what I'm doing, or like, have some sort of kinship, whether that be as an ally or they're actually South Asian themselves. Um, it doesn't really matter, but we have a pretty clear vision on what we want to create, and our roadmap. You know, we iterated on it, we've changed it, and it probably will change as so we get more partners or change our ideas or whatever it is. Like we, we're actually are creating a resource directory of people of color and the creators and collections in the space right now because it doesn't exist. And that was something that we were going to do post but we've actually decided to just do it now because we want to showcase that we actually mean what we say. But I think like, our overall vision has always just been to uplift underrepresented voices. And in terms of how we make money, which is the actual question you asked. So I've created one of one pieces, which we've already sold. And that has just been through OpenSea. And those are customs, so they're priced at, you know, a a price that we agree on with the buyer and myself. And for the collection, how we make money is we will be minting. We haven't decided yet, but most likely around 2000 pieces of brown baddies or NFT pieces. And we'll be having a pre-sale and a public sale. And the pre-sale is if you identify as a woman of colour or a biowork person or a non-binary person of colour, you automatically get a cheaper mint price and the public sale will be a day or two later and it'll be a bit of a higher price and open to anyone who wants to join our community. And if you invest in brown baddies, like all of the things that I mentioned, those experiences, being part of something that's investing in other People of colors, creations, actually being able to vote on that. Those are the sorts of like, I guess, benefits and utility that you get. And so that's how we make money, just essentially by by minting that. And we also get royalties if people sell our brown baddies on the secondary market
0: at a set percentage too. And are you going to it, it sounds like there's quite a lot of things that Brown Baddies wants to do with the proceeds of those funds? Are you building out a team? Is this going to turn into uh, an organization? You know yeah, I I guess, how do you think about the future of Brown Baddies? Like once you have actually minted, which I I think the mint date is uh, sometime in June, but after that, what what does Brown Baddies look like? Yeah,
2: it's it's really interesting because everyone, um, other uh, creators that I've talked to, everyone always says there's a lot of hype about, okay, like we're minting, we're minting, but I think it's post-mint that is probably most important because that's when you have to show that I'm actually going to execute on the roadmap that we've created, which is why, for example, I said that we'd initially wanted to create this resource directory postman, but we're actually doing it now because we want to show people that we actually are going to be executed. Sorry, not be executed, are going to execute on what we've we've said. And the future of brown Baddies is a very good question. We do have a community manager already because I'm in Australia. And like I said, most of our audience is In the States, the time zones has definitely been an issue. There's a much broader audience in America and North America in general. So it's been really helpful to have team members who are across time zones. So that's probably something that we would hire more of post-Mint just in terms of community and, and, and managing that. You kind of find that we have a Discord community and it's quite interesting because a lot of the Brown Baddies audience are not very big fans of Discord because of their UX. But on Discord communities, people expect moderators to be there online 24 hours a day. So that'll definitely be something that we have to invest in post-mint because right now I was just myself, my partner, and my little sister managing that Discord and we can't stay up all night, unfortunately. But what what I found is we've been really lucky to have such a great community who are really patient with us because they believe in our vision so much and they know who I am they know who like is running this so they sort of give us the time to iterate and learn as we build as well which is awesome like even what I'd mentioned before about you know things like making our characters more body positive people like we didn't get I guess in a cancel culture world cancelled because we hadn't already done that people actually gave us their genuine feedback because they want us to succeed and do as well as we can. And then we went back to the drawing board and, and created things like that. And I think future of Brown Baddies is, like it would be awesome for this to turn into some sort of DAO. And I guess we sort of have the makings of that by getting people to actually vote for all the artworks or the creators that they want to fund with, you know, the funds that they have basically invested in into Brown Baddies. But that's probably like, you know, the, the tip of the iceberg of what it could be. and even things like we've had people ask us for events across the world, connecting them with other South Asians who are you know in different like forms of their business or who are interested in web3 or whatever it is. And right now it's something that we can't promise. and so that's why we haven't put it on our roadmap. but that's definitely the vision being able to connect like like-minded people because they haven't been able to before. And, you know, it'd be awesome to be able to, I guess, show that we can do that. And I think that is my dream is just being able to connect people who have a shared interest. And I think that would be brown baddies. But I feel like it's really important to just say that we don't close off our community to people if they don't invest in our NFT. I think accessibility in terms of, you know, NFTs and their prices are a huge Huge problem right now, especially for, you know, underrepresented groups. And we've really made that conscious effort to make sure that people still feel part of our community and get a lot of benefits regardless of whether or not they can actually purchase one too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So lots of exciting things to come for Ananya and Brown Baddies. Let's zoom out a little bit and just talk about diversity and inclusion in Web3 you know, help me understand, you know, earlier you said that there's this huge potential for Web3 to be a more inclusive and equitable space to actually drive those agendas. But, you know, when I look at my at my Twitter feed, <laughs> I see a lot of crypto bros. Can you tell me why why that is, you know, why why we are where we are today? And then how you see Web3 really actually being able to help drive that diversity inclusion that, that seems to, to inspire you?
2: Yeah. Look, I 100% think there's a long way to go. I think, unfortunately, like Web2, people who have access, it it doesn't matter what space you're in, whether it's Web2, Web3, business, startups, tech, definitely the power has always been in a select few. And that's probably where that has come from and why you see a bunch of crypto bros on your Twitter feed because They're the ones who've, I guess, had the privilege to be able to experiment or try or they're able to actually lose money on investing in NFTs because they have that access or ability to do so. And I feel like the reason that I believe in Web3 creating such an equitable world is because, in my opinion, your customers are your investors and you're helping them become decision makers in your business. Because at the end of the day, Brown Baddies, you could consider a business or a startup. But I don't need to get VC funding because the people that I'm trying to sell to actually are helping me first of all build and they're also my customers as well. so it's awesome in, in, in that sense, and that's why I believe in it so much because you're handing power back to the people who actually you know are vouching for you or, or voting for you almost. And I'm a VC so it's, it's really funny to, to be talking about these things as well. but I think because I'm a VC I I see that bias or I see how much um, your like your personal background influences how you make those decisions. Because, you know, if if you have someone pitching to you and it's something that you don't understand, it's really hard to then resonate or relate to it. And whereas in Web3, as a customer, you can actually choose something that you really want to support and you get to be there. VC almost, so you get to actually invest in them and help them. And that's how I see Web3 is, I guess, pioneering that diverse world, because you actually can help people elevate themselves and it's more transparent. And that's why I believe
0: in it so much. Yeah. Yeah. that I think that speed and that transparency really makes a difference in, you know achieving our goals of diversity and inclusion and equity a lot faster. And I, I'm totally with you there. Do you see um like what risks do you see with web three, especially as it relates to you know diversity, equity, inclusion? I think there is a lot of potential, but there are also maybe a lot of ways that it can go wrong. I think in terms of risks
2: is first of all, it's not accessible to a lot of different people, and at the moment, it is still like you know mostly driven by unfortunately <laughs> white men, and it is something that people are creating. Web3 projects and not just NFTs. NFTs is obviously just a very small subsection of Web3 in general. But if you don't have diversity in building the infrastructure, because it's so new, it's such a nascent space, if you don't have diversity or different voices in actually building the infrastructure or like the processes or what is being built right now, it's just going to be a perpetuating cycle. And that is a risk because that is kind of what is what is happening right now, which is why we need, you know, more people or more underrepresented groups going into the space, because they need to actually be the ones who have that input before it's all created, essentially. And I I think that is probably the biggest risk because that's what's happening right now. And that's why, you know, whether it's NFTs, which help people sort of as a portal or gateway into the wider web three world are so important because, you know, the arts kind of What draws you in? And I think after that, you kind of go down the rabbit hole and you kind of understand all the different realms, which is what I'm learning about right now. But it's definitely a risk because we're not there yet. It's not equitable yet. And it's not accessible yet as well. And it is such a confusing space. Like people are making their own language up essentially. It's really hard to learn if you don't know where to look. So I think it's really important to have those spaces where you can learn. Without judgment as well, and there's not enough of those spaces there yet. Yeah,
0: yeah. Do you have some examples of like of NFT projects that have worked really well in obviously besides Brown Baddies in kind of furthering this mission? And do you have examples of cautionary tales of those that that have not worked so well?
2: Yeah. So one of my personal favorites is actually Wow Pixies, and so they're a project. I actually, she's Australian, she's an Asian background when she's living in Singapore and now her name's Lily Wu and I absolutely love her project because they're the first women-led DAO and she really, I guess, pioneered the fact of, you know, women-led startups and NFT projects in general are really undervalued. So they made it their mission to essentially fund them through a community, which is what their DAO is, and that's what it does. And that was probably one of the first projects that I invested in and one that really inspired me too. And I absolutely think that the project showcases the value of how Web3 can elevate underrepresented voices because you know the community gets to vote on which projects to support. They have educational programs. They give a lot of access into other communities as well through their partnerships that they have. And so you get a lot of benefits from being part of wow Pixies and being part of their community. And so that's one that I think they're building now. That I think they're building the second collection as well. But that's one that's really worked very well, in my opinion.
0: Got it. Thanks, Nanya. All right, so we are we're just about out of time. The so last question for you, which is a question actually that I feel like my dad asks me all the time, which is, aren't NFTs just you know? jpegs of derpy looking apes uh what do you say yeah. to people that have this attitude especially because many of them maybe your target customers
2: yeah yeah it's it's really interesting because um you know even my own close circle my own friends like they aren't really in the space and so they actually have the same question and they're not trying to be rude or offend me or anything like a lot of them really love the art but i think it's about explaining that you're actually buying into a community and it's also really important to say that not all communities are built the same and you're not going to actually get those benefits or that value from all the different communities. So that's why I always tell people that if you are investing in one, like first of all, make sure that that's money that you can afford to lose. But second of all, that you actually resonate with their particular mission or the utility that you're, you're getting and you, you hear the word utility burn around a lot. And basically that just means like the value of the benefits that you get from know purchasing this NFT, right? But that is subjective and that looks like what you think is great, someone else might not agree with as well. So for example, I think, you know, board apes or whatever, they have like the parties or whatever it is. And it's also that, you know, the ability to say that you have one and it's like it's, it's a branding thing too. But someone else might not resonate with that kind of benefit or value. the Brown Baddies utility is saying that, hey, like I'm supporting a mission to elevate. South Asian women. But again, that might not resonate with everyone. And that's really important to understand. So I think it's just about explaining that, Hey, it's, it's kind of like a membership card into a community, but you know, it's transparent and everyone can actually see that you're, you're part of it. And that's kind of the, like how I try to explain it to, to people that it's not just about the picture. Like I definitely love Resonating with the art, and it's really, really important to me. And I do believe that art can be the utility itself. And I think I see a lot of people not really talking about that in the space too. But just making sure that, you know, everything else that you get from it, whether that be connections, you know, being able to vote on like a community fund or or whatever it is, is something that you really like and, and relate to. So that's how I explain it to people about why it's not just a JPEG and it's kind of representative
0: of a lot more. Wow. That's the best answer I've ever heard to that question (laughs) tonight. Thank you so much. Um, No worries. um, And thank you so much. That's that's all the time we have for today, Uh, but this has been such an insightful conversation. Thank you so much for being here as our guest and thank you so much to our audience for joining us. Thanks for having me. And now a word from our sponsors.
2: Hello, my name is Todd Schweitzer. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Brancus. Brancus is a Southeast Asia-based open finance technology company and we do several things. We work with banks and other financial institutions with a set of software solutions to help them launch open APIs and API products um, in a matter of weeks and we also provide Uh, Simplified APIs that enable any fintech or e-commerce or online business to instantly connect to financial services across Southeast Asia through a simple API. We operate in Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, Singapore, and soon Bangladesh. And I'm very excited to participate in the Green Room and forward to supporting the Green Room podcast and also the broader Apex Oxygen initiatives.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Green Room with Amrita Veer. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And make sure to hit subscribe to get the latest updates. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we would also really appreciate you leaving us five stars and a review. And if you know anyone who would be a great guest or have any feedback, reach out to us at greenroomfintech at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Catch you later.